We're just going to make do. <clears throat> I'm Jordan Anderson, by the way. Uh, I'm one of the elders uh, here at Hope Heights, and I am honored. I feel very privileged to, to be up here this morning and sharing the good news uh, with you all. We are in... Are you going to do it? Hey! All right, we are in a prayer series uh, right now. We just started last week, so if you're new with us uh, or you missed last week, no worries, we're, we're still at the beginning. We are taking uh, this month, month of November, and next month uh, to walk through a bunch of different prayers found in the Bible uh, that ultimately highlight uh, God's ultimate redemptive plan, uh, that it's grace found through Jesus alone that earns our salvation. Uh, his death for ours, we were far from God and we can now be near because of Jesus. There was brokenness, there was pain. Uh, there can now be healing and restoration. Uh, we were rudderless and wandering and alone and we now have a purpose and we have a forever family. Uh, and today we get to look at arguably the most well-known prayer, uh, likely in the Bible. I, I have no evidence if that statistic is actually true, but let's just pretend together uh, that it is. Uh, we're looking at the Lord's Prayer today. Uh, and many of you might have it memorized. Many of you might even uh, say it regularly in uh, your own prayer life. A quick background for me. Uh, I grew up in a a church setting where the Lord's Prayer and the Apostles' Creed and some other sayings were just kind of a regular part of like every Sunday service. And I was actually required to memorize the Lord's Prayer and say it in front of a pastor to go through something called confirmation. And so what I memorized uh, I was actually like the, the old super old English version. It's like from out of Shakespearean play. It's like, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be that, you know, like, anyway, anyways, um, I memorized it the same back then, the same way that I memorized physics equations, you know, or does anyone know what this is? Quadratic equation. Come on. I haven't used this since the eighth grade. Okay. I don't know if any of you have used it since eighth grade. Anyways, this is to, to point out, this is kind of the way that I memorize. It was kind of a means to an end. Like I had a test and I got through it and then I just kind of forgot it uh, or no longer really used it. And in a similar way, uh, I think Maybe some of us have memorized the Lord's Prayer and just it's kind of just a rote thing. And I love that we're looking at the Lord's Prayer because I think it's worth more than just a casual memorization. I think it holds a lot of great gospel truth uh, for us. And my hope this morning is that we leave changed and challenged and refreshed uh, because of the Lord's Prayer. So, uh, before we get into the actual prayer, uh, let's get it into, into it contextually. Uh, our passage today is found in, in Matthew chapter six. And in, in grander context, this is a part of what's called the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, this is uh, a record of Jesus teaching his disciples about a, a plethora 
of things, uh, how to understand the Old Testament. He talks about murder, talks about adultery. He talks about worry. He talks about forgiving others. He talks about caring for the vulnerable. All these things. And in the middle of it, uh, we have Jesus teaching his disciples about prayer culminating in, in the Lord's Prayer. Now, before we get into it, I do want to say this. The Bible wasn't written to us, but it was written for us. It wasn't written to us, but it is written for us. So in really an amazing way, we get the opportunity to sit under Jesus' teaching about prayer uh, and what he had to say for his disciples then uh, can be for us today. So if you want to open up your Bibles to, to Matthew chapter 6, we're going to be looking at uh, verses 5 through 13. Uh, otherwise, the scripture will be on the screen. So here we go. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. All right, before we dive a bit deeper into the passage and kind of make some observations, uh, I was struck this week as I was preparing, I asked myself, why do I pray? Why pray? I forced myself to, to sit with this question because if, if I'm being asked to come up in front of y'all and talk about the most famous prayer, you know, uh, it felt only fair that I do business with a really foundational question. And, and I hope I don't lose any of you to like your own existential crisis. Oh, what, why do I pray? Okay. Hold tight because I, I think this relates really well with the passage that we're looking at today. Uh, the first data point that I gave myself in answering this question is I had to ask, what is prayer? If I'm asking why, I gotta figure out what it is I'm doing. Um, I think it's fairly easy as we look at kind of throughout all of scripture, prayer is communing and communicating with with God, it, it's, it's an inter, interaction. Uh, is there more than that? Maybe, but I don't think it's less. I don't think it's less than just simply an act of intentionally connecting with God, often through word or thought, but sometimes I, I don't even know what to pray for. And I think it can still actually be a prayer. Drew, uh, referenced this passage last week 
uh, Romans 8, 26, 27. In the same way, the spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. I don't know about you, but I think some of my most authentic prayers sometimes has simply just been a wordless groan. And I love that somehow God is able to know what that is. And that can still be considered kind of a prayer. Um, so using this, what the interaction, the, the intentional connecting with God, um, this gets us back at why, why commune with God? Why connect with God in this way? Do I need to do it? Do we need to pray? It's a bold question. Um, Uh, sometimes I I like to back myself into a corner uh, with those questions. And so let's get at one of the big reasons in answering that question, but let's flesh it out in maybe more relatable terms that maybe don't have like the theological weight of an elephant behind it. Okay. Think of the person that you answered the question of the day, who do you really like talking to? Okay. Get that person in your mind. For me, it's, it's my wife, okay? I kind of like her. Um, so I'll put it in those terms. Do I need to talk to my wife? Do I need to talk to, to my daughters, Ellie and Kenna? Positionally, would I still technically be a husband and a dad? Yeah, but relationally, I would be What? nothing, not, not much. And so I think we can uh, apply this in the sense as it's like, how would your relationship be affected with God if you didn't ever talk to him again? In the kind of in a similar way, how would, how would my relationship be affected if I never talked to Emily again? It has consequences. It, it has relational consequences. And so if we turn that positive, like consequences can have positive and negative. If we turn that positive, praying to God, it helps our relationship. It strengthens our relationship. It bolsters my position. It helps me with my own identity. Uh, you know, again, using uh, being a husband, the more I connect with Emily, the more of a husband I feel and the more that I then want to connect with her. She's sitting right here. That's why I keep pointing right there, okay? The more that I pray with God, the more that I recognize my identity as the child of the most high God. And the more I want to connect with him, and that's just gonna kind of cyclically like strengthen you know, the, the, the position, the identity, that relationship. <clears throat> so let's hold on to that as we then look through uh, the rest of the passage. So getting into it, we're gonna take this first chunk and uh, what kind of struck me as I was uh, initially reading, look how many times Jesus just 
makes the assumption that his, his disciples, that we are praying. It's not an if, but it's a when. When you pray, but when you pray, and when you pray, this is then how you should pray. Uh, so again, not an if. Now I'm not trying to shame anyone regarding your prayer life. Uh, there certainly seems to be kind of a, like a joke within Christian circles. If you ever wanna humble someone, just ask them about their prayer life, okay? Uh, with that, I'm just gonna let, allow Jesus' words to kind of hit you wherever you're at in regards to your own prayer life, okay? Whenever you are praying, he gives us some do's and don'ts, okay? First one, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. Don't be like the hypocrites. What are they being hypocritical about? Uh, we might ask. Well, they, they seem to be having this, this air. It's like they look religious, they look pious, but maybe their, their motivation isn't uh, quite correct. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, The Cost of Discipleship actually addresses this. And I thought this was helpful. Prayer of this kind, you know, publicly uh, kind of performing, prayer of this kind can seek self-display. I turn myself into a spectator of my own prayer performance as if I am giving a show for my own benefit. The publicity which I am looking for is then provided by the fact that I am the one who at the same time prays and looks on. I'm listening to my own prayer and thus I am answering my own prayer. Not being content to wait for God to answer, we take note that we have prayed suitably well and this substitutes the satisfaction of answered prayer we have our reward. So what's their, what's their motivation? They're seeking praise and recognition from others or even themselves in saying, that was a good prayer, okay? I think, uh, I, think I do this in, in small ways, um, maybe, maybe not about prayer life, but it helped me to uh, think about when I, I don't know if this is a guy thing. When I like unload the dishwasher, or like take out the trash, I'll like saunter over to my wife, be like, you see what I did? Praise me, praise me, did you see? It's like, I have my reward at that point. It's like, I didn't, I didn't do it just out of love and compassion and like familial duty. I needed to do it because I wanted to be praised for it. And I think, Praying out loud can, can, can do that as well. Uh, similarly, if we look at verse seven, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Uh, I think we can kind of interpret this a couple different ways. One, maybe we think we can just annoy God <laughs> to the point where it's like, oh, fine, just be quiet, okay? Or I, I think maybe, maybe a bit more subtle, we can think that there's like this exact technique 
this exact optimized formula that if I just say the, the right words and the right phrases and I pick words that have an exact ratio of consonants and vowels, then like somehow that means God will bless me and answer my prayer. And I think for both of those, uh, we get that answer in verse eight. Do not be like them because, well, your father knows what you need before you ask it. God, God knows. God knows what we need but before we even think it, before we even ask it. He isn't surprised by our requests. He isn't in some staff meeting with his angels be like, did you hear Kevin sprained his ankle? I had no idea. It's like, <laughs> no, God knows. Um, but again, this, this can come back to the why question. If God knows what we need, why, why pray? Well, I think this gets back at the relational connection point because I, I think I'll actually flip the question to, to be a bit more faithful to uh, kind of the biblical storyline. Why wouldn't you want to pray? to a God who knows exactly what you need, who has the kind of ultimate wisdom and understanding and knowledge to know, sometimes the answer to our prayers might have to be no or not yet, okay? I'm not saying that this kind of prayer doesn't require trust, it does, but I'd rather trust in a God who is that wise and that knowledgeable and that powerful than one who, who isn't. So if we have the, the do nots, what are we supposed to do? Well, verse six, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. What I find interesting, you know, again, Jesus in, in the original context, he's talking to his disciples and Save for Matthew, the tax collector, he was loaded, okay? Save for him, most of the disciples likely shared houses with other people. And if there was an interior room, it likely didn't have a door. So what is Jesus getting at? I think it, again, goes back to this relational connection, this intimacy. You're not to pray for the sake of your reputation with others, or even your reputation with, with yourself. What matters is what God thinks of you. And if you're living fully out of that, that truth, that intimate connection. And, I, and I'll throw this out there. I heard this the other day. Um, reputation is who you are in public. Character is who you are in private. And if I think we, as we see throughout scripture, God is much more concerned about our character development and our internal identity than he is about having a good public reputation. And yet a lot of us can be tempted to think that that is actually where we should put our focus and where we find our identity best is what others think of us. So additionally, I wanna speak to kind of this first section is, uh, it would not be difficult to interpret that Jesus is, is against public prayer. Um, he's not, okay? In fact, the, the very next set of verses, the Lord's Prayer, which is a prayer, 
uh, it was done in front of the disciples, in front of a large crowd who had gathered to, to hear him, him teach. And so we can still pray in front of others. We're just to be mindful. The object of our prayers is supposed to be God, not ourselves. I'm looking, as, as I'm praying, I'm looking to garner his attention and no one else's. So all of that is just like big context, big introduction to, to the Lord's prayer. So if five through eight is the manner uh, in which we are to, to pray the Lord's prayers, then the matter, the how. In fact, the only other time that the Lord's prayer is ever recorded in the New Testament uh, is found in Luke, uh, another gospel account, chapter 11. Uh, and it comes after the disciples just simply asking, Lord, how, how should we pray? How shall we pray? Which could be kind of striking because the disciples, like they would have grown up in a context in which prayer was just so much a part of their rhythms that I think there's something really special that they saw in Jesus. It's like, man, when he prays, something's going on. I wanna pray like how he prays, Lord, teach us, teach us how to pray. So this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So what I wanna do with the, the remainder of our time is to, to walk through the Lord's Prayer, uh, offering some thoughts and observations. Uh, so let's start at the top. Let's stop right there, okay? Our. I think many of us, when we pray, or maybe just even in general, consider our relationship with God, we can be fairly individualistic. Uh, we'll maybe even use communal language like we, us, and our, but likely, I'm guessing, and I do this too, okay? I think we're actually thinking of me and mine. Jesus, I think, wants to, to challenge that or at very least have us consider there's an us component to all of this. A different interpretation of our father, how this starts, uh, and possibly uh, maybe more faithful translation would actually be father of us, which I think really highlights uh, this idea that there's, there's a communal uh, thing going on. So we who are united in Jesus, we who have individually found salvation alone through his sacrifice, we get to be adopted into this family. Uh, sometimes it's a bit of a family of myth, misfits, I get that, uh, but it's a family nonetheless, and it's we who get to call God Father, our Father in heaven. Uh, this too would, would have been surprising, maybe even scandalous a little bit to have heard. Uh, I'm not saying it didn't happen, but for the most part, People back then rarely addressed God as father. Uh, they would have said that he is a father. 
uh, likely taking their cues from some Old Testament passages, but to hear Jesus speak and to address God as Father, uh, I think this speaks to his relational understanding. That's it's why he was okay calling himself the Son. He knew his relational standing with God and invites us as well to consider God is not some far off deity, but rather he is father. Okay. Keeping on, hallowed be your name. Uh, another translation, may your name be hallowed. Uh, hallowed, that's, that's not really a word that we use much anymore, uh, but the root word is the same as Halloween. Halloween or All Hallows Eve. Um, to hallow something, uh, I had to look this up. Okay. <laughs> to hallow something is to say, be holy. May your name be holy. Is God's name in danger of not <laughs> being made holy? Uh, no, uh, but starting out this way, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, I think can remind us who we're talking to. Our Father, yes. Holy, yes. Perfect, blameless, unreal awesomeness, yes. But circling back, what's the name that we just called him? Father. So we get, we get this opportunity to, to see both, like he is relationally close and, and he gets to relate to us as a father does to a child. And yet, whoo, holy. Okay. So that's, that's how it starts. That's how we just even start off the prayer. Next, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What kingdom? Well, God's kingdom a kingdom that is advancing from heaven onto earth by having a baby boy born from a virgin next to a bunch of farm animals, okay? So this isn't necessarily the kingdom that they were expecting um, or often kind of a kingdom that maybe we expect, but it, it is a kingdom that promises to restore everything to do away with sin and death and pain. Do we fully understand how that's all gonna come about? Not really, but we do trust in his will to accomplish this. So, so we pray for that. Uh, when we pray for this, we're, we're in an already and not yet kind of situation. Already Christ has has come into the world, lived, died, resurrected, paying the sin debt that we couldn't and therefore allowing God to forgive us our sins. That's, that's an already thing. And yet things are not yet fully restored. Heaven has not yet fully come down, but when it does, God will reside with his people, his family, and we will be with our God, our father. So in the midst of this already, not yet, we pray for sustenance. Give us today our daily bread. And per usual, G Jesus is doing two things at the same time. He's invoking something that his disciples would have been familiar with, 
uh, through the Old Testament, and uh, he's giving new meaning to it as well. Uh, daily bread, this sounds a lot like when the Israelites were ushered out of Egypt and they were wandering around the desert for 40 years and they didn't have any food, okay? And they complained about it a lot, okay? So Moses prayed to God and God provided manna, okay? Literally the Hebrew word for what? Question mark, exclamation point. What is it? Okay, it was this substance that would show up on a daily basis, like on the ground, and they'd have to go gather it, and uh, they got enough for their daily needs. And if they tried to keep too much of it, it would just spoil. Okay, daily sustenance. It's funny, I went down a bit of a Google image. Okay, because manna is, uh, it's like it's known within cultural. Uh, context, even even us, and so I think people see it as like, oh, let's let's tag on to that. So now, like mighty manna bread, it's like somehow somebody got the recipe from God and like put it in a loaf of bread or something. Okay, this by far was my favorite though. Calf manna. This is this is a livestock supplement that you can actually purchase. And I made the mistake of clicking on this image, and now I'm getting advertisements for <laughs> livestock supplements. Um, <laughs> Anyways, uh, the Israelites, okay, going back. All right, we're back. The Israelites had no other way of providing food and sustenance. And in the same way, I think Jesus is invoking this message to say that everything that we have we are very well taken care of. Everything that we have is still a gift from God. And we are to pray for daily sustenance and have the same humility in recognizing we are owed nothing. We're to look to the one who can, who can give us our daily bread, give us our daily sustenance. Even in the midst of having storehouses upon storehouses. Rather, let us rely on a God who can still provide for everything that we, we need and is a father who knows how to give good gifts to his children. Okay. Continuing on, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. One of the radical claims of the gospel is that we have forgiveness, full complete forgiveness of our sins, our debts. And that's through Christ's sacrifice on the cross. But possibly an even more radical claim is that once, once we understand the absolute craziness that it was for a God to sacrifice his son so that he could redeem and save all of the others that he considers children so that he could forgive those children what they've done. He sacrificed his perfect son to do that. Once we understand that, once we internalize that, we can then say, God, you have forgiven me much. When somebody does me harm, I also can forgive them. 
forgiveness. You have all the things that Jesus could have included. Forgiveness seems to be at such the core of kingdom business that he includes it in this prayer. Finishing up, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Uh, A lot of different ways that we could take this, Uh, but I think I'll continue on the already not yet theme. Uh, We are only tempted because things have not yet been fully restored. There's still an evil one, Satan, because even though Jesus has already started advancing the kingdom and it already has the decisive blow that the end is already written, Satan's a poor loser. And he has every intent of causing as much damage, hurt, pain, doubt as he possibly can before his time is through. And as a child, remember we're we're positioned as a child right now, as a child we can ask our good heavenly father for deliverance from any temptation, any sin. And what father wouldn't want to give that to their child. And that's what we get to pray for. So where does that leave us? Uh, I'd like to just kind of throw it back up there. I'd like to highlight a few things uh, as we're looking at the Lord's Prayer. I'd like to think that we can actually take Jesus at his word. Um, when he assumes that we are praying and says, when you pray, we can pray this. Like if, if your thinking's like, man, I'd love to start praying. This seems like this would be a pretty decent place to start. Because Jesus said, when you pray, do this. Okay. But additionally, for maybe a more seasoned prayer or prayer pr- person who prays. Okay. I think the Lord's prayer also has so many good gospel nuggets that no matter where you're at, it can still remind us that, that we're a part of a community, a family that's united under a good father that loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on our behalf. And with Jesus coming, dying, resurrecting, a heavenly kingdom is advancing onto earth, one that is particularly marked by God's will being done and accomplished And in the meantime, we can be reminded of a God who not only provides our our daily needs, our daily bread, our daily sustenance, but one who provides our greatest need and that's forgiveness of our sins. And we then get to extend that forgiveness to others. We're reminded that just as Jesus was tempted by Satan with all the power and the authority and influence of this world, Jesus said no, and and we can too with the Father's help. And this is all built in a really, really, really short prayer, just connecting and communing with God, uh, one who's not far off but near. So uh, with that, I'd like to invite the the music team back up. Uh, While I do so, I've got a few questions for us to ponder. As you pray, when you pray, is God the object of your prayer or are you?
How might the Lord's Prayer by itself or used as inspiration invite you to pray more to your heavenly Father? And then do you know someone who could use an invite to the family of God? Our services are built so as to culminate in response. We, uh, we sing, we, we intake the word, and, and we want to overflow that. Uh, and we've got a number of different options that we can do here right now. We can take communion. It's out in the, the, the back hallway. Uh, you don't need to be a member of Hope. You don't need to be a member of any church. We just ask that you are a follower of Jesus. And if, if you're not, it's like you can, uh, you can become a follower of Jesus right now. Um, we can sing. The band is going to play a few songs and, and we can sing and respond in that way. We can give uh, uh, through, through the website if the Lord is leaving, leading you in that way. We can also pray, uh, which seems really appropriate for the series that we're in. Uh, we have people in the back uh, who would love the opportunity to pray with you and for you. Uh, but additionally, we've got this. Uh, you can ask for prayer through email. This is confidential. Uh, chprayer at hopecc.com or we just confirmed chpray. Goes, goes to the same place. chpray at hopecc.com. Uh, can request prayer. Uh, but if you want to join the prayer team, just email Drew and we uh, can get you on the prayer team. It's a really, really easy, tangible way uh, to respond. So lastly, I'd like us to do something that I don't think we've ever done here at Hope Heights. Uh, I'd like us all to, to stand and I'd actually like us to recite the Lord's Prayer together. Uh, Jesus is inviting us to pray to our Father together. So let's do that, and then we'll move into a time of response and music. So here we go. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen.